to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Thake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in the space. So what's it like having all those MVPs clear out finally? Is it quiet now? You know what? I had the best night's sleep on Thursday <laughs> night after four days of getting into the office. My usual time, like 8, 8, well, 7.30 a.m., prepping for the day, trying to get through emails before the onslaught of the MVP summit of basically back-to-back sessions all through the day. And um, I mean, conferences in general are exhausting, but when you're the one running the whole track, making sure that speakers are there on time and their recording stuff is set up and then all the questions you get in, in and around sessions, it was, um, it was a long week. We learned a lot though. That was the, the good thing. But yeah, I, I slept like an absolute log on Thursday night. I can imagine, you know, there's the, and, uh, people always say the best sessions happen in the hallways, right? When, and mm-hmm. the MVP personifies that to no end, the, the, you know, just seeing people both in and out of Microsoft in the hallways and, and, and catching up is, is great. So, uh, I'm very happy with the content I saw, by the way. So, uh, thanks for all the hard work. It was great. Yeah, The, the ratings that came through were really strong for our session. So I'm, I'm happy with the fact that the amount of effort we put into, you know, make sure that we had genuine content. There was certainly a lot of times where PMs at Microsoft, like, we're just going to present what we've presented at Ignite. And I'm like, that content's nearly six months old. You're going to get murdered if you go out there and just do that. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I guess because I was an MVP for five years, um, knowing what I expected when I traveled away from Australia to go to it, um, just explaining that aspect of it um, allowed them to understand, oh, okay, I get it now. And yeah, okay, they're under NDA and we can trust them and and share with them thinking around a bunch of stuff and we got great feedback from the sessions that we drove around the graph and sharing stuff that is, I'd say it's it's not on whiteboards, it's specced as word documents, but there's certainly no code written for any of it. So it was just super useful to get feedback from all the MVPs about that stuff. So it's exciting to see whether we were on the right, in the right path, on the right direction, or whether we were totally losing our mind. (laughs) And the answer is probably both. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Both. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but you know, in one of the sessions, uh, obviously the, it's on NDA content, but there's a couple of public links that were disclosed that I had never discovered. So I, I jotted them down and uh, there is a couple links around the throttling that happens when you call Microsoft graph. And so we'll, we'll put those in the show notes, but it's one is the best practices for discovering files and detecting changes at scale. And the other one is how to avoid getting throttled in SharePoint online. And both of these just give you tips and tricks and information about how the service keeps itself healthy. And um, I did meet the, the PM who's in charge of calling people who are being throttled and saying, knock it off. And so uh, this is a nice way to get to stay off of that list, right? Yeah, pretty much. I think there's just a list of here are the most offending uh, application IDs and then they do the, okay, who owns this application ID and how do we get in contact with them? And, um, and then we reach out and give them that guidance and help them to kind of improve and optimize their applications. In a lot of cases, it's like they didn't realize Tilda existed, um, or, um, they weren't using the 49 pattern correctly and backing off when they would get those errors. And so there was a little bit of that that we is in that guidance and in that in that document that's on our um, 
our doc site. So definitely check those links out if you're doing anything and you're seeing a lot of 49s, it's worth reading those just to get an understanding about, you know, what we were provide as guidance around the best practices for being a good citizen there. And I would also add that even if you're not currently getting throttled, it's, it's worthwhile. The, you never know, right? So, so for example, uh, there was earlier this week, uh, Wes reported that sometimes SharePoint pages were taking a minute to load in, in Europe which didn't affect me at all, but you never know where my customer's code's going to be running, right? So the service mm-hmm. may be having an issue, so they're going to throttle more people than they normally would. You, you, you never know. So even if yeah. you're not running into these limits, it's certainly worth reading these and following these practices just in case. Or for yeah, yeah. or plan for when you become successful and you can retire without winning the lottery, right? <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you onboard those 100 million users and suddenly the 49s become really important in your code. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, good stuff rather there. Than scrambling after the fact, and then actually one of the other things at MVP Summit was um, weird. Some... Let me cut you off and preface this. Jeremy had a great idea. Hey, Jeremy, tell everyone about your great idea. And I'm serious. <laughs> this was a great idea, and I've already used this. So okay, now go ahead. It wasn't really my idea. We everyone's been using Postman with Graph, and we've just blindly gone, "Hey, let." Everyone should use Microsoft Graph Explorer. And Daryl's the PM in our team that owns that and has a really good roadmap of where we want to get to, including things like bring your own client ID rather than it using our shared multi-tenant application ID so that you can genuinely test your apps. You can sign in with a user um, and then add permissions and consent permissions but it's against the Graph Explorer app ID. And so we, we've always known we needed to look at bring your own client ID so you could genuinely test your app outside of your code. And so we, we knew that people were using Postman and um, testing APIs with, you know, making sure they got the right app permissions in there and consenting them either as a delegated user or as an application. But at the MVP summit, I kind of openly just pitched this idea. Like if I went and spent time and built a postman collection which essentially imagine all those samples that are in graph explorer but bundled into a package that shows up on the left hand side of postman um would anyone use it and everyone in the room put their hand up and there was like 75 people in there and i looked at daryl and just was like guess i've given myself more work (laughs) um and at microsoft well in our division they run a what's called an fhl week which is fix hack learn so technically your men are remove everything off your calendar and invest time in either fixing, hacking, or learning something. And I haven't been able to clear my calendar because build is less than six weeks away now. And um, I'm responsible for the content for Microsoft Graph along with uh, Mark Stafford and, uh, and the speakers that we've now allocated to the sessions we've got. So I managed to carve out, I guess, four hours yesterday and um, spun up a GitHub repo and went and basically took all of the samples from Graph Explorer and put them into Postman into a, you know, a series of folders, but for both user delegated and I've started with the app only ones. Um, but what's interesting is there's a, a thing with test testing where you can use JavaScript to pre or post the request execution, do things. And so for instance, if you're playing with the mail set of requests, you can do get my messages and then in the post test script, I actually go and uh, grab the first item that's returned and store the message ID in an environment variable called message ID. And then if you do get message, it uses that message ID to execute that request. And so you can pretty much 
run all of the samples one you know in that sequential series of like creating a message and then it stores a message ID and then getting that message you just created and then updating that message you just created to use a post and patch. Um, and without even having to copy and paste IDs from one thing to the next. So I found it super useful. And um, I showed Yina yesterday after one of our meetings, she was like, Oh, that's awesome. She goes, I've had this collection for a while. I've been building up. I'll share it with you and you grab what you want out of it. So I looked and there's like 125 different requests in there. So yesterday I kind of went through and found um, all of the ones that were relevant that weren't like internal server pointing secret squirrel <laughs> stuff that never shipped. It's like, what's this? And like having to <laughs> go find out what the hell the endpoint even was. Um, and so, yeah, so it's all available now on GitHub. And I know you went in straight away and um, made some requests to some of the typos in my readme that I excitedly threw together with the setup instructions. But um, yeah, we actually have got telemetry on it. So each of the requests, we post the SDK version in the header. So we have given it a graph postman um, SDK version stamp. And then in the background on our service, we can see how used these postman collection requests are. So if if it does get a lot of traction, we will throw engineering resources at it to take it further. But there's at least, uh, I did 80 of them yesterday. And all following that flow. So every every service API on the graph has its own collection of requests there um, that matches what's in Graph Explorer. But the idea is is we'll probably grow those and take cont- contributions from community too. Yeah, I, great stuff. And and the you mentioned there's a app only and delegated and. I, I, you put it in the readme and I'm going to reiterate it. Uh, the on behalf of flow means you enter a username and password in postman and store it in postman. So it better not be a production account. Yeah. Or I will find it, you. It, it, it's bold. <laughs> it's very bold. It says, yes. don't do this. Um, yeah. you know, in your apps use M which doesn't allow you to do that. Um, it, it, there are scenarios where it's, it's used in integration <laughs> testing apparently, but we don't bless it for use in production because obviously we don't want you doing that. We want you getting an access yeah. token through yeah. um, an interactive UI that MSL provides in either web, mobile and so forth. But um, yeah. yeah, so just be wary. And, and you know, obviously there's some stuff there that the samples delete applications from Azure AD and will delete messages and delete users. So you really don't want to be trying any of this stuff in a production tenant anyway. Yes. And if if what you need is a, a typical user delegated token, you can still use the authorization code flow. The postman help covers the steps. And there's some stuff out on the Internet about how to set up a an app with a redirect URL that postman will facilitate the old school token acquisition, but I don't want this take away from the, the, the capability that's in there. It's awesome. And, and I've actually taken up some of those scripts and, and did it. I actually have some work to do on the R API the, the next week. So I've already taken some of your scripts there, the, the test scripts that you talked about with saving the token and stuff and, and copy that into my collection for, for uh, work hub and, and use it. So it's really a great resource. Thanks a lot for doing that. No, you're welcome. And yeah, and I mean, a lot of the work was, you know, piggybacking off the work that, um, I mean, Chris Johnson from, you know, CJ from Hypervision, the Microsoft Cloud Show, he'd blogged about using environment variables like last year. And then Brian Jacket, as part of the 30 days of Microsoft Graph series, had blogged about kind of just setting this stuff up properly and admin consenting in the portal 
And so I link off to those things as part of the repo. But yeah, so it's been a, a series of events that have happened where I'm like, okay, we're at a good state now. And it's clear that people are using this stuff. So now we'll be able to measure it because we're stamping the headers in all those calls to see, you know, whether this stuff is uh, worth investing more time in along with all the other DevX stuff that we do on Graph. Great. And so you mentioned Daryl, uh, he's, and he's also did some work on the SDK. So there's a new version of SDK I saw came across. So was that last week or the week before, right? Yeah. And this was exciting. And, you know, without oversharing the MVP NDA discussions, uh, this got a round of applause. So if you haven't checked out that blog post around the, um, Microsoft Graph SDK for .NET, which was the V1.14. Um, Peter in our engineering team here in Redmond, um, he joined recently and it was like the first thing that he got put on. And um, what he's done is he's essentially made it super easy to um, set up an auth provider within the Microsoft Graph SDK using MSAL. So for the, I, I'm using the number 80%. Um, it might not be completely accurate, but for the 80% of scenarios where you just need to use MSO and its default configuration and provide a client ID and a secret, um, you know, you can do it in essentially two lines of code on top of what you'd normally do with the Microsoft Graph SDK. So it really makes it easy to get going now. Um, and we d we've done that across the Java and iOS and um, the, the Java script uh, libraries uh, as well. And so, you know, we're just further, further hearing the feedback we get around authentication not being the easiest part. And, you know, you spend so long doing that. And then the easy part is actually calling the API itself. And so we're just trying to minimize that. And then this was something that uh, Daryl and Michael Maynard and Peter and a few others have been working on um, internally to, um, you know, make sure we can keep keep improving that from a DevX side. Yes, exactly. You know, and, and it's a great idea to just say, well, you know what? We know the happy path for auth is this and and it's confusing because of the history of the auth library. So why don't we just mm -hmm. simplify it? So yeah. it really is. It really is terrific. And I like how they're structuring things with the, the middleware model. And yeah. so uh, if if you don't want to use the happy path auth, you want to do your own thing, you can and, and so on. So it's uh, I'm excited to to pull this down and get start kicking the tires on this. Another Microsoft uh, blog post I saw this last week was from Yohai. Is that, did I say that right? Yo, Yohai. Yeah. I don't do it very often. So yay me. Um, he posted a, a blog post at the beginning of the March around conversational AI updates. And this is in context of the bot framework. So there's a new SDK in the bot framework version 4.3. And then it, they've done some, some trimming or some simplifying of message handling in the SDK, which is really kind of nice. And then there's some improvements to Q&A Maker and Lewis. So if you're doing those and, and why wouldn't you be there, there's some help there as well. And the big thing that I think people will find helpful is that there are some templates. Now there's an enterprise template and there's some solution accelerators. Uh, the first one is a virtual assistant, which either you love it or you hate it, but I th it's great examples of, of things that are pulling in Lewis Q and a maker about framework, pulling these things together to give someone a, a nice experience. So it's certainly terrific uh, templates to get in a solution accelerator to get you bootstrapped and started. So it was great to see this, this update come through. Um, awesome. Yeah. And then, uh, um, 
the last item uh, I found in the community is that uh, uh, Victor Villain has updated his Yeoman generator for teams, right? So since we're in the, the update mode uh, with the SPFX update, the, Victor has a, a Yeoman generator to create a teams application. And so he's read that to version 2.7. At the time of recording, it's still in preview, but I would imagine it'll be moving to prod really quick. I, I went out for uh, drinks. I don't think you were there. It was me, Wes, and... Daryl and he was talking about the fact he was going to get to that on the plane. I was like, yeah, right. You're going to get on the plane and fall asleep. And then to his credit, he did actually <laughs> get that done on the plane. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It's really neat to see that stuff come through when people kind of invest in open source and genuinely make it happen. Yeah. It, you know, and, and I, I put this in here because it, it's certainly worthwhile to get feedback either, you know, through the podcast or directly uh, to, to Victor that th- with with SPFX and, and the SharePoint team giving you hooks into teams and and teams hosting SPFX web parts or, or providing information. There's a little bit of a blurring of the of the lines going here. And so uh, uh, Victor obviously has a foot in both camps and so can help bridge that gap. And we've given him some some tips and tricks and we've even told the the spfx generator guys things that we'd, we'd like to see so any feedback that the community has can certainly get rolled into either of the generators depending on what you're using so it'd be great to get that feedback from people yeah it's awesome this week i was able to, well actually a couple of weeks ago now i was at the the north american collab summit in branson and i sat down with bob german bob german uh, is uh now a microsoft employee but a long time uh consultant, uh, former MVP, I believe is when I first met Bob and he, he did some work around, um, provisioning Microsoft team stuff. And so I sat down with him to get his thoughts about what that he's hoping to bootstrap a community of templates, if you will, or, uh, obviously provisioning is a, a common thing, but he's got a re- he's seen a real need in his customers that he's supporting. And so, uh, it was great to sit down with Bob and get his, uh, his take on what the, what's going on in that space. Yeah, he's a really he's a top guy. We've had him on the show before, actually, post the reboot, and um, uh, he he's just got a really good kind of like sharing his caring, always smiling mentality to development, and then and so it's always interesting to see what work he's doing and what what he where where his interest goes because once he kind of grabs something by the horns, he just kind of doesn't let go until he's happy with the quality of the stuff he's got going. So yeah, I'm glad you managed to get him on. Yeah. And you know what? He said he's working with some larger uh, SIs or ISVs. And and this is a great chance for us to bring that goodness to smaller development teams or or to you know enterprise devs as well. So that obviously you can't just call Microsoft and say, send me Bob German to help me. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of nice to and that's what that was another great thing. As he started talking through, I was thinking this is this is great. I'm so glad he was, took the time because we can spread the, the joy throughout the whole world. Right. Yeah, that's it. That's awesome. Or at least to the five people that listen to the show, which brings me <laughs> to my last point. Um, I'd love to see some retweets of some of our tweets that go out on our M365 Dev Podcast handle, just to make sure that we are having people listen to this. I mean, we can see the analytics, but it's always nice to put um, names and faces to our audience. Um, it was nice at MVP Summit for a few people, um, including Andrew Connell, who I think I bashed in one of these pre-interview parts of the show, <laughs> assuming that he would never listen to it. And he's like, of course I listen to your show. Um, so it's always good to hear because um, you never know when you look at numbers. It's just not as personal. So um, please give us shout outs on Twitter or LinkedIn or anywhere where you share with uh, your own audiences. And uh, yeah, we'd really appreciate that because we really want to make sure that this reaches as many people as possible. 
and growing the, there's lots of well, I assume there's lots of good stuff coming out at Bill that we'll have a chance to share. So it'd be nice to get. Oh, I'm now. The word okay, out I went to people. from like I can't wait for MVP summit to be done, and so I can put my feet up. And now I'm like I can't wait for six weeks time when build is done, <laughs> and then straight after that is the Chevron conference. So yeah. by the end of May, I will need a good vacation somewhere. Uh, there you go. Sounds but, great. Um, well, once you plan yeah. your vacation, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be sure we'll, to we'll add, crash. add something in there. As long as it's not Vegas, right? Yeah. Oh, no, no way. That, that, that vacation and Vegas are not in the same sentence. Yeah, I agree. All right. Well, thanks, buddy. Appreciate taking the time and uh, look forward to chatting next week. Yep. Cheers, buddy. See you, mate. So today I'm with Bob German at the North American Clap Summit. Welcome, Bob. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. And so can you give our listeners a quick overview of who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, well, I am a partner technical architect uh, for Microsoft. I'm kind of a boomerang. So I worked for Microsoft for quite a while. got in on the early days of SharePoint, um, worked at the Microsoft Technology Center, uh, jumped out to go join a startup called Blue Metal. And now I'm back at Microsoft. So I guess my thing is office development all up, which is pretty similar to you and, and, and the whole podcast. <laughs> I listen to your podcast. Oh. So we're all in the same family, man. Uh, excellent. That's great. And so um, I, I was inspired to track you down because, uh, uh, as the listeners know, I was in Toronto a couple of weeks ago doing a team solution accelerator. And they, they handed us some, some slide decks and some stuff. And I'm looking at it. And there's this demo. And it was from Bob Drew. I'm like, hey, I know that guy. So, um, <laughs> So this was the field visit demo, which I don't know if the whole general public has seen this demo, but uh, yeah. can you give a little bit of overview? But I found it very compelling in the context of if I have a line of business app and I have humans want to work with teams, this kind of fit the niche. So can you give us yeah. a little overview of what that was and why you built it? Yeah, thanks. Glad, glad you like it. Um, well, it started actually with this thing called the developer kitchen. So every so often the SharePoint team decides that they're going to do something new and big uh, in the developer space. And, and uh, I know you were there, so I'm just explaining it for everybody. But, um, you know, we the the usual suspects get invited to Redmond and it's it's awesome right you get to you get to meet the product team and find out what's going on and learn all the cool new stuff and hang out with your friends so it's all good and um, they asked me since I was on the inside they asked me since they knew I knew the SharePoint framework could I build a demo that would get the attendees at the developer kitchen excited about building SharePoint framework web parts for teams tabs and that was a scenario I came up with so it's basically it's a mashup my theory is that teams brings all of office 365 under one pane of glass or at least it tries to and it's pretty pretty darn good at it actually and so why stop there if you've got people who are doing uh, doing their job they bring in <clears throat> they need to use line of business apps those could also be under the same pane of glass, thus saving time, uh, making it easier for people, and bringing teamwork into the line of business apps. So you're not kind of a solitary person using the LOB app and then, and then completely switching gears to go collaborate. So, um, so it's not widely spread right now. I'm, I'm working with a few partners on adapting it to different um, verticals. It's the, my example was an insurance adjuster. And you know you've, you've got a tight team of people. It's a fairly expertise, a lot of expertise required to go do it. And uh, in my case, it's buildings. And um, so, 
they're working in a team and they all need to help each other out, swap off appointments and stuff like that. So what I did was I put all their meetings in the, in the uh, channel calendar so that they could all see each other, but then it's kind of hard to look at it that way. So then I built this mashup that's driven off the calendar so you can go by, um, by person, by date. And when you click on one of these appointments, it brings up um, a map of where you're gonna go, um, a summary of company information, which came from the lovely Northwind database, <laughs> um, a weather forecast, um, a list of documents relating to the customer, so that those are actual real documents in SharePoint that are tagged with a customer ID, um, a list of transit, recent transactions, which uh, currently are mock, but they could come from somewhere else, um, and a list of photos, and it's just a set of photos. And um, they're just kind of all in one place. I, I eventually want to build Power BI into that as well. But the idea is that at one glance, you can see what you're going into. Okay, look, there looks like there was a fire, some fire damage I gotta go look at at this location. Everything is right there on one screen. And then, um, a cool thing that that it does is, is it can kind of tie in with the conversation. So you could be looking at this and you could have a question, you type the question and it goes into the conversation stream with a deep link. So anybody who sees that in the conversation can now click on it and get back to the mashup and see exactly what you're talking about and kind of start to bring collaboration right into the line of business. Yeah, yeah that's, and that's very compelling, I think, to me. Like, it's, so in your scenario, the Northwind database would be my line of business system on the back end, right? So, so yeah. obviously the calendar and the files are all inside of Office. They're in Office, but, yeah. uh, but yeah. some of it's in the cloud too, right? Like the weather and the map. And yeah. and, and I think in practice, the pattern is, is interesting. The actual practice is probably going to be different for every customer scenario. Right? Yeah, and, and so... Obviously, you built this as part of the the SharePoint framework development inside of a Teams tab model. Yeah. Um, did you find that good, bad, other, better, worse than just writing a web page uh, yourself? Well, or it's you funny know? because, yeah, it's a really good question. I would say different. The difference being, if I was to do it, if somebody said, build this in SharePoint uh, today, I would build... A half a dozen, or eight or nine, or however many there are, um, web parts, and use dynamic data to yeah. connect them. And then you'd be able to move them around and change them, right? Um, the Teams tab, it's one giant web part, and for better or worse, right? So what I did was I wrote the, all those things as React components. And there's, then there's a master component that brings it all up and, and handles the state. So, um, so I think, you know, I've actually thought of maybe trying to adapt it into a bunch of little web parts just to see what happens but um, well yeah but that, that was the that was the primary difference I think yeah yeah I mean it's interesting right so I think it, uh, you're doing a component based development whether it's the component is a web part or the component is a react component I think at the end of the day that, right. it's an arbitrary line you're taking right so right. certainly would see that um, and I, I bring it up because on, on the day we're recording is uh, shortly after 1.8 was released that's for right the, the yeoman generator so folks can see that but now um, the other the other item I, that you came across my radar uh, on a blog post you posted some also related to Teams on provisioning Teams with Azure Functions and Microsoft Flow. We'll certainly put a link to this in the website. But um, what, what what is the goal of this uh, series of blog posts that you're doing? Now? Yeah. So well, this this was another thing, and these, these are all kind of also oriented towards the partners that I'm working with. But 
it's open source, so enterprises and, and you know, anybody can take advantage of it. Um, you know, if there was one project when I was working with a partner with it as an SI um, that I did over and over again, and it was always different, so it wasn't completely repetitive, it was SharePoint provisioning, right? And many times I did talks at conferences and, and on SharePoint provisioning, and I would get good, really good attendance. I would usually... Um, get a show of hands. How many people have have uh, either their, if you're here with an enterprise, how many, your enterprise, or if you're a, if you're a uh, uh, consultant, your clients, how many of your clients and employers are comfortable with self-service site provisioning? And, you know, about, oh, 10% of the hands go up, <laughs> yeah. you know, and yet that's what Microsoft always does. And it's part of our corporate culture, I think, is that is that it's self-service. We, we empower our employees um, to a point where where they, they feel it. I think they feel that that's the best thing. But a lot of companies really don't feel that that's the best thing. So for whatever reason. So there's a million ways to do it. And, um, and people have started doing it for Teams because Teams recently came out with some really cool APIs, which I know you're aware of. Um, but for the listening audience, right, the, the, the new Graph API is still in beta, um, have two interesting calls. One is a clone, and one is a, uh, which basically copies a team. It's the same as create a team from another team. And the other is a create. And when I saw the create one, I kind of fell in love with it because uh, at the bottom, it has this big JSON structure that includes the channels, the tabs in the channels, the configuration of each tab, all the membership settings, all of the other, the fund settings, all the different tab options, um, the apps installed, everything is there. So it's like, wow, if I could, if I had that thing, you know, it's, it reminds me of a provisioning template or a site script in, in the SharePoint world, right? And maybe a little closer to a provisioning, uh, you know, template. So, so uh, uh, people have been playing around with this. I've seen some, um, some really interesting work out there in Flow. Some people are doing this in pure Flow. Um, a, uh, an MVP and blogger, Laura Kakarinen, who I probably mispronounced the name of. I've mis mispronounced her name several times on oh, the podcast. Yeah. So well, she's, 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 um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to meeting her. <laughs> she's definitely a thought leader, and I'm looking forward to meeting her uh, as well someday. But, um, but in the meantime, hopefully she'll give the, however I butchered her name. But in any case, she has a whole series of blog articles on the clone approach. And right now, well, it's in preview, but the clone, you kind of clone it, and then if you clone it by hand, that's fine. But if you clone it by um, the API, you, she's got like three articles on how to fix. <laughs> or clean up afterwards. Clean up afterwards yeah. because the tabs are broken and other things are, are a little askance. So, you know, uh, the, hopefully it's a point in time problem. I don't know. But, you know, the interesting thing about that is that you've got a template which the end user can can create, a power user can create, and then you can say, okay, this is our marketing campaign template or our project template or our community of practice template or whatever, and then start cranking those out according to some kind of a flow. And she does a nice job of laying all that out. Um, so I decided to try a different approach, which was to take that thing that, that looks to me like if um, provisioning templates were JSON and SharePoint was Teams, it looks kind of <laughs> like that. I guess it's kind of a stretch, but you know what I'm saying. And, and, so, um, and so that's the approach here is those go into a SharePoint uh, document library and then you can write any flow, power app, or anything that can talk to an Azure queue. And you, you basically 
put into the Azure queue, this is the name, the description, the owner of the new team, and this is the name of the file in SharePoint that has the JSON with the channels, the tabs, all the stuff in it. And, um, and then basically these Azure functions run in the background and um, provision the team for you. When it's done, either success or fail, it puts a message on a second queue, which can then wake up another flow. So why did I do that? A few reasons. One is I think it's, um, I, I, I felt like it was good to separate the, the calling of the API, which is kind of intricate and especially if you kind of want to do it right, you're going to check for completion. So it's, a, it's an odd API. It doesn't return a result. It returns a second URL that you're supposed to check repeatedly for, for the result. So that seemed like that would be kind of tricky to do in a, in just in a pure ad, um, flow. Secondly, I wanted to separate the template out because I know that's going to change more often than the, the rest of it. And I also wanted to make it so that no-code, low-code developers could build the, the uh, control logic and leave the API part to, uh, to something that was more programmer-y that could be released and tested in a, in a staging and production. You know, that, that, there's a lot to unpack there, but that, that last point I think is, is extremely relevant to our audience in that there are some things, that if, if you're really good at writing code that can consume a REST endpoint, you get the token, you do all that work, doing web front ends or you know, basic data capture can be, it's a different cell skill set, or it's something that, that maybe that's not the best use of resources, right? So I like the idea yeah. that you know, being able to tie into, you could use Microsoft Forms or well, and it changes too. It right? changes more yeah. often. It changes differently. It changes at a different frequency See? than the API. Yeah. The API will change, I'm sure, sure. because they all do. Sure. And the business requirements <laughs> will change, but uh, you know they don't necessarily change at the same time. So you won't have to release that whole thing at once. And how can you really test the API if it's in a flow? It's kind of hard yeah. to test that because a lot of flows are, I know you can import and export them, but a lot of them are edited right in production. Exactly. Um, well, yeah, but, and again, flow is good at like an approval, for example. If I want to create a new team and I want right? to get my manager to sign off on doing that, let the power user build that and get whatever approval workflow they need, and then when they're ready to rock and roll, we can come in behind the right. scenes and help out. And, and another aspect of it, actually, that I almost forgot is, um, and I'm being kind of security conscious here, but I was trying to be kind of enterprise, you know, go for the something that would make the big enterprises happy, too. Um, you know, Flow and Logic Apps and all those, they always use a user's credentials. Mm -hmm. So somebody's got to log in and be the guy or gal who, <laughs> whose, whose user ID is used to do the actual work. And I, I just felt like for something as powerful as provisioning teams, you know, that, that might be fine for sending an email, but for something as powerful as that, I felt like it deserved an app permission and, you know, and kind of more like so, so that's what I'm doing is I've got client credentials flow, I get an app token, and you know, uh, the whole thing is driven by an application rather than by a user. That's great. So now another thing I want to point out, right? Again, uh, uh, our audience is going to be down in the, the gritty details. You you'd mentioned there's a, a template for the thing that you're creating, and and in, in mm. what I'm going to call 
very all too often Microsoft fashion. There's one word meaning multiple things here. Yeah, <laughs> so I know. Yeah. Um, and, and I get, I can understand it. So when I'm doing the API, I can use a template in the in the API, which points to something the team team has had. So can you? You had mentioned before we started here that you know you had you had understood this and had a way to describe this. Can you? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess I don't, yeah, I'm not, I don't have an authoritative answer, but I can tell you what I know. What I know is that when they first came out with the ability to clone a team at, in the UI, that was the first thing that came out, right? So you could go in and say, when you create a team, you could say, oh, create it based on that other team over there, right? And people started calling that a template, that other team that you were is kind of your master team. Now, I don't know if that was the official word or if that was just what everybody gravitated to because you think of it as a template, but it was sort of like, if, if you go back to the old days of SharePoint, you do a safe site as template. Well, what if instead of that, you just copied the whole site that's that was the and they still called it a template so there's lots of people and blog articles and stuff that call that a template and then there are the base i call them the base templates but i might not be correct which well, are like sharepoint the, the health the healthcare <laughs> there's a healthcare one and a retail one and a education one there might be a couple others where they basically you know uh gone and analyzed different industry and said, okay, healthcare, you know, people have these scenarios. This is what would really be helpful for a hospital. And, um, and so there are those templates and those I think are officially called templates. And then the thing that, that, that I thought of as a template, I've heard other people call it a template. It's, it's the, uh, the payload of the create teams graph call. Um, I think it's officially called a teams object or a teams resource. If I, when I read the documentation, but I think of it as a template. And I think you're right. I think most I mean, most users will see it that way as well. But I, I like to make that distinction because no, as it's a developer, be, when you go to the docs, what they say is template is, and that's totally understandable. So and it's good to be precise that. about terminology too. Yeah. And then there's a resource manager template in there too, just to throw throw you off completely. Yeah, exactly. But you can, I try. I wanted to make it enterprise ready, so there's uh, you can provision the whole function, Azure functions, and the the uh, the whole thing with one one line of PowerShell. And there's an ARM template that builds it all out for you. So. Excellent. And then the other thing I want I want to tease out. You mentioned um, it doesn't return. The call doesn't return an object. It, you know, it returns another URL. And so yeah. um, the the technical word behind all that is you get the result is a, an async operation UR status URL, which correct. Um, is I think very common in systems, but we haven't seen it much in the graph. Yeah, that's uh, true. I wonder why. Well, my, this is Paul's hypothesizing, but if I want to send a message or read an email from you know someone's mailbox, that's not a long-running operation, long -running if operation, you will. Right. Whereas when you provision a team, even in the UI, you've seen if I click, I create a team and I click on the files tab right away. Sometimes I might get a oh, we're still creating your file message, right? So I, the, yes. with the nature of the group there. So, um, but it's good. But now you, the the solution that you link to or you talk about in your series, you handle that that. Re resource to that async operation status, right? Yeah, that's right. It's all buried. You don't have to, the, the flow, whoever creates the flow or the power app or whatever, they don't have to worry about it. It's, it, it takes a while to run sometimes, but it will, it will sit there and pull. Right now I have it set for 10 retries at five seconds each, but that's actually um, a constant at the top of the code. So you can actually go in and tweak that if you, if you ever need to. I find usually it's fun. It was fun watching the log, you know, cause it actually, the, if you sit there and watch the Azure function logs, you'll see the retries and it always, usually like two or three times, it'll say in progress, in progress, success. Well, I would imagine that it depends on the payload too. If you're asking it to create the 
12 channels, it's going to take longer than if you ask it to create just. That's a really good point. I yeah, I, I kind of tested with. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't have that many. Uh, and that's that's kind of the caveat is that this is something I wrote, and um, you know, I I like to think that I'm, I'm an okay developer, but I need more eyes on it. I need feedback. I need people to test it. I just I want. Can I tell you my vision? Absolutely. My vision is um, that we kind of work together, and uh, I've been talking to Waldeck about this a little bit, um, but I haven't been delivering, so I got to get my act together because I was working on the the Azure Functions actually. But um, I want to see the Office 365 CLI be able to provision the same template, in quotes, the same JSON structure, and then ultimately, I don't know how, I don't know if this is going to be possible. I want to be able to extract that JSON from an existing team. So you could go to a business user and say, here, make the team the way you want it, and then take a snapshot of it, get the JSON, put it in the SharePoint site, and then when it gets updated, take a new snapshot and update the thing in the, in the SharePoint site and not have to break any code or flows or anything, and be able to test it right there within the Azure CLI, or sorry, the O365 CLI. Now, where this may break down is, you know, I, I don't know yet. It's yeah. still early days, but that's my goal is to get it there to the point where, uh, because that's the way, that's the pattern I saw people use in SharePoint, right? What do you do? You kind of go in with Azure Function, uh, sorry, with uh, PowerShell, and you build up your provisioning template, and right, and you get it all the way you want it, and then you test it with PowerShell, and then you go and put the PowerShell into an Azure Function, which is still experimental and not supported, but, <laughs> so I, I always scratch my head. Yeah. It's like, I sure hope this keeps working because I because people love to test it on their desktop and then just drop it into yeah, an Azure function. Yeah. Right? Well it, it, it does it does mimic the maturation process that we saw with SharePoint so I can That's right. see that. And 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 of course I as as a as a customer I would expect at some point that now, if I create a team now, I get a little miniature wizard. Is it public or private? Am I creating a new one or starting from scratch? That's right. And, and if you look at the SharePoint, when I create a site, they now have a list of site designs that show up. So I would expect that at some point the team's team would get there. Mm -hmm. But obviously with the newer product, I'm sure they have lots of fish to fry. So they have, they, yeah, they, so. I'm, I'm just so impressed at yeah. how much they've gotten done in yeah. the amount of time. But, yeah, but, there's, up but often, of course, you're right. There's more. People, people with SharePoint history have these expectations for the team team. It's like, well, you, 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 yeah, it's, you're putting too much on them. To, they're it's not that. It hasn't, yeah. look, at, look at the calendar, you guys. Yeah, it hasn't yeah. been around that long, look, right? Exactly. So it works out awesome. <laughs> it's yeah. amazing if you think about all that they've done, especially with all the voice stuff and everything else. It's like. Um, and so the this stuff, I know you have the blogs series on, on this solution. Yep. Is it also uh, on GitHub out there? Yep, or, yep. Or so, so if you go to my blog, bobonegerman.com, um, I just put out the fourth article in the series, which is the last one for now. Um, and uh, every every article right at the top linked to GitHub. Okay. And warning, again, it, it, it might move. So it's under, it's under my own GitHub. And so if, if, well, some, then, yeah. if somebody out there uh, more official I don't know, like in the PNP community, uh, gives me a give me a, gives me a home for it. I will move it in a in a heartbeat, and so it might move. Yeah, well, GitHub has a pretty good facility for locking a repo with a banner that says this has moved to. Exactly, so exactly. I, 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 but but part of it is I I, I kind of wondered about this. It's kind of down in the weeds, but I mentioned there's an ARM template. So if you do the ARM template, it actually wires up continuous deployment. Okay, there you go. And and by default, it'll deploy from my repo. And I kind of like, <laughs> I kind of like warn people in the documentation, like, please, 
kind of fork the repo, make it your, you don't want me to push something out and yeah, all of a sudden yeah. your code updates. Yeah, well, and again, um, the, the, again, back to that, echoing what we saw in the SharePoint land, at some point having the SharePoint penance of practices just published a provisioning site like this week after five Oh, they're years doing of, some really yeah. ambitious so, stuff now. Yeah. I wouldn't expect people to have the same stuff in Teams. So to your point about it, it's Bob's repo and it kind of auto-deployed to stuff that Bob's done. Do we, if you're going to do this in production, you might want to make a copy and, and host it yourself at least. Until yeah, and be aware that it's open source. So, yeah. you know, kind of get, get some understanding of it, be ready to support it. And frankly, I think I'm hoping that the audience for this is my, quote, customers, which are the partners. Yeah. Partner yeah. community. I think there's a big opportunity here because I've noticed there's a lot of partners who have maybe they do a little development or maybe you know and but then they have a lot of BAs and uh, power ups and flow talent and and then their customers they just want the thing solved yeah. right yeah. so um, I'm hoping that there's an opportunity here for partners to take this and um, and build solutions for people without having to go through the the effort that I went through to try to get yeah. everything yeah. working. So, um, so, so uh, as you said, you, you work mostly with partners, but uh, you're obviously at a conference with me this week. Are, you, yeah. are there other conferences where folks can find you and, and have questions? Yeah, or, yeah, or absolutely. That demo, that, that, that field visit demo is pretty slick, so if people get a chance Oh, cool. To see I got to do yeah. more with that, I guess. Yeah, yeah and, and um, yeah, I'll be at SharePoint Fest DC. I'll be at um, the SharePoint conference. Um, North America in Vegas, and I'll be at um, I'll be at SharePoint Fest in the summer in Seattle. I'm hoping that I'm at SP TechCon Boston. I don't think I've heard officially. Which we'll travel cost would be less for that one, right? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a cheap date there because I live in Boston, so. <laughs> so that's great. And then uh, you mentioned BobOneGerman.com is the blog. Are you on social yep. media as well? Or? Yeah, well, yeah, sure. BobOneGerman is also my Twitter okay. handle, and that's where I do most of my geeky stuff. So, uh, you know, I, I LinkedIn and stuff there too, but but I pretty much That's all. Twitter is. Well, appreciate you taking uh, time out of, out of the conference for me this week, and uh, we'll certainly get the links all posted up in the show notes so folks can find this stuff easily. Wow. Well, thanks. Thanks very much. It's great to see you, and yeah. I really appreciate yeah. the opportunity we'll to be on your show. And, so. and I hope, I hope uh, if all goes well, another six months we'll be at a conference together, and we'll get an update on what's going on here. And so, those folks who want to get involved with the community. In fact, I, earlier I, or last week, if you're listening, I, I interviewed Chris Kent, who's an MVP, and he got involved with the PMP and got MVP. So, for those of you out there looking to get more involved, this oh, is yeah. another opportunity to, to step. Yeah. Up in fact, I was he was on my plane to Branson, yeah, so I ran into him there. Yeah. yeah he's so a great guy. All right. So, all right. Thanks, thanks, Bob, and. Uh, uh, we'll chat again. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365devpodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks.